Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This week on Truth and Movies, Florence Pugh goes from Norwich to the NXT in the WWE wrestling comedy drama Fighting My Family. You want some advice? Here's a rock advice. Shut your mouth! A young mum has some concerns about her son in the Irish horror The Hole in the Ground. Are you sure you haven't been gone into the forest on your own? No, mummy. And in Film Club, we revisit the classic of Japanese horror Hideo Nakata's Ring. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it's Michael Leader here with a tag team, our own Legion of Doom of film criticism this week. Adam Woodward. Hi. And Greg Evans. Welcome, Greg. First Hello. time. Please be making my debut. Yeah, so introduce yourselves to the lovely listeners. I'm just a journalist, I suppose. I mostly write for The Independent and on the Indie 100. I'm not just covering movies, covering all sorts of news. So if you want any hot takes on Trump or Brexit, sorry to bring those words up, but uh, yeah, head over there and you can see see what I'm saying on those subjects. And your film tastes skew? Film tastes skew between everything really, mm-hmm. but mostly horror, I think, and sort of cult movies, and then going for the art house stuff, love superhero movies. So. Okay, so yeah, we yeah. have some horror this week, you're yeah. also wearing a wrestling t-shirt, I'm, so, yeah, so I have picked a good one this week. I think I've been invited for a reason. This week on the uh, to uh, talk about fighting with my family. Well, not to pull the curtain back too far, but we're recording this on Monday morning, the mm-hmm. night, the morning after the night of the Oscars. So, any hot takes? The final word on the Oscars, Adam. Well, it seems like it was more predictable mm. than I think a lot of people thought it was going to be. Because you always get to that point where the bookmakers have got their favourites and everyone seems to be in agreement on who's going to win the top prizes. Mm. And then right at the 11th hour, everyone tears that up and, and decides something else. So it's kind of interesting waking up this morning. I didn't actually, full disclosure, didn't watch the ceremony last night. never do. But uh, yeah, just sort of looking over the gifts and memes over my Weetabix this morning uh, and, and the list of winners. It's kind of interesting seeing, like, on one hand, they've given the, the top prize to a film which I think is okay but fairly forgettable and doesn't mm. seem to like I'm not sure they've really read the room with that one that's and green book with green book mm-hmm. so yeah perfectly sort of serviceable film not one i think we'll look back on in 10 15 years and say yeah that was like a real major event but then you know you look down the list i think there's some really interesting awards especially in the acting categories mm-hmm. olivia coleman's speech i thought was lovely mm. great to see regina king win as well and i think Mahashal ali becomes the second man after denzel to win two 
Oscars in the acting categories, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, two in three years as well. Uh Terrific. It does show a portrait of almost an Academy divided, doesn't it? None Mm. of these films really came out ahead of the pack. I think in the end, none really won more than three or four uh, awards in total. Bohemian Rhapsody picked up a few, Green Book picked up a few, and then Black Panther picked up three, which is historic for a comic book movie. I think it was Dark Knight before that picked up two. Mm. And Black Panther picking up costume design, production design. I think, I believe the first women of colour to win in, in, in those categories ever. It's pretty historic. You, yeah. you were finding that film. Yeah, well, yeah, it's um, really significant films, especially that it just got nominated for Best Picture anyway. Mm-hmm. That feels like a huge step forward. And yeah, let's not overlook Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse oh, yes. winning a, a Best Animated Feature, which mm-hmm. I think I think everybody was going to sort of knew that was going to win anyway. But um, to have it join with Black Panther and to have, you know, all these Marvel films winning awards. I know some people might turn their nose up at that, but I think it's significant, especially that they're predominantly black superhero films as well. Mm-hmm. is um, very encouraging. But maybe Green Book, I mean, it kind of feels a bit like Crash winning in, was it 2004, oh, yeah. 2005, something Don't like that? Me. It already feels a bit like a mistake already. Like, oh, no, mm-hmm. that they've kind of spread the awards around a bit. So mm-hmm. every major film has kind of got its own little... Award. Of course, we had yeah. mentioned Roma, which picked up mm. three awards, which went straight to Alfonso Cuaron on his own, coming up with different speeches for each one. I'd, I'd recommend, of, of all of his speeches, looking at his one for foreign language film, where he rattles off his foreign language film picks growing up, which, of course, are English language films to us. <laughs> um, but it was there's also a great moment where it's Guillermo del Toro giving the Best Director Oscar mm. to Alfonso Cuaron. Also, one I'd, I'd search out for was adapted screenplay for Black Klansman, which Spike Lee picked up on his bill. But it was given to him by Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, great. And Samuel L. Jackson, you can see mm. the delight on his face when he opens up and uh, this huge bear hug that mm. uh, occurs when Spike Lee comes on stage. And it's great for Spike to finally get that Finally, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. After 35 years or whatever in, well in the industry. Very well deserved. Mm. It'd be interesting to see what Netflix do from here because mm-hmm. they obviously spent so much money on Roma's campaign for Best Picture. I think they spent more on just its Oscars campaign than they did actually on the budget of the film in the end. And, you know, it's a big prestige thing for them. Personally, as much as I love Roma, I think they have a foreign language category. Mm -hmm. It is a foreign language film. It makes sense to award it that award, right? Nothing taking away from it, not winning Best Picture. I mean, it doesn't make it a bad film, you know. But you think Netflix put all that money into it. They're going to continue doing this. So what will be the tipping point for them? What will be the one that finally gets through but yeah I, I wonder what the, the sort of takeaways will, will look like like further down the line when we look back at this year mm-hmm. I'd really recommend last week's podcast with uh, Robbie and David on, oh. on, on basically how the academy works thank you Greg if, if yeah no, check is in the post <laughs> if you're interested in how the academy works and why certain films get awards and others don't and the voting it was a really great lesson so mm-hmm. Give that a go. Well, that was the Oscars. I feel almost like breathing a sigh of relief. This has been quite a long Oscar window, and now the fun films can come back again. The genre movies, we can, and we have two to talk about this week. Shall yeah, we crack looking on? Looking forward to it. Up first, fighting my family. Fight to My Family is the origin story biopic of WWE wrestler Paige, who grew up in Norwich in a household of professional wrestlers. Florence Pugh stars as Paige, real name Soraya, and we follow her from tryouts to training camps as she pursues her dream of becoming a WWE champion with an interesting benefactor. Rock, rock, rock. We're huge fans. Thank you so much. We've been fans since you had hair. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's a choice. It's a damn good one, too. See you guys. Rock, rock, rock. Yo. 
We're wrestlers as well, actually. We're actually doing the tryouts today. Oh, cool. What advice would you give us if if we want to win over the crowd? Win, win over the crowd. What are your names again? My name. Exactly. It doesn't matter what your names are. You walk around here interrupting the rock. You like you haven't seen the sun in 20 years. You like you just stepped out of Oliver Twist. Please, sir. May I have some more advice, sir? You want some advice? Here's the rock's advice. Shut your mouth. What you want? What you want? How about what The Rock wants? The Rock wants you to go out there, take no prisoners, have no regrets, have no fear. Lay it all out on the line. Because if you don't do that, The Rock is going to find your friend, Mary Poppins. He's going to take her umbrella. Yeah, he's going to shine it up real nice. He's going to turn that something sideways and stick it straight up your candy asses. There's your advice. Straight out of the jabroni beating, pie eating, trail blazing, eyebrow raising, entertaining the globe, never hotter, talking to two rejects from Harry Potter. So that's how you went over the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> that's blown the cobwebs away this morning. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, Greg, you're a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. So this is the first biopic of a WWE star. Why should we care about Paige? It's an interesting film, this, really, because mm-hmm. it was announced a few years ago, and I think if you would have approached any wrestling fan at a, a show, at a WWE show, and says, you know, name a wrestler you want to see a biopic about, nine out of ten would not have said Paige. When she first arrived at WWE, there was a bit of buzz about her, because she didn't look like... I mean, they mention this quite a lot in the film. She doesn't look like the stereotypical woman that WWE was employing at the time. And she had this history of working within the British wrestling scene on independence, and obviously, as, as as we'll discuss, her family were all wrestlers, so she had a lot of experience already. And when she arrived, she immediately started having quite good matches. So it made sense from the point of, if you're going to look at history and her family and you know where she managed to get to as a star, why they would make a film about her. And... There's also a documentary which mm-hmm. this film is based upon, which is also called Fighting My Family, I think, confusingly. The Wrestlers, colon, Fighting My Family. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And it's, you can watch that on, I think it's on all four, for mm-hmm, ODs, right. um, one of the streaming services. And obviously with The Rock's involvement, coming on as producer slash sort of actor with a handful of cameos in this, an actual wrestler. She's not the Hulk Hogan breakout star or even The Rock or... Not, not, not really, no. I mean, she would be fairly well-known uh-huh. to wrestling fans, but I think for a movie audience, mm-hmm. wouldn't know anything about wrestling. It'd right. be quite a weird sell. If this was Hulk Hogan, and when there is a biopic in the work of Hulk Hogan, or if it was Steve Austin or mm-hmm. even The Rock... This would have been a fairly big movie. So maybe it's the yeah. power of that story then, and yeah. the little kernel, the origin of the film yeah. is so unique, I mean, where yeah. Dwayne Johnson was over filming yeah. whatever Fast and Furious film it was that was set in London, was that six? And mm-hmm. he said late at night on t- on public access television, he's he's told this story maybe seven or eight times on his yeah. Instagram stories, he saw the documentary mm-hmm. and wanted to turn that f- into a film. Yeah. And so maybe it is, is it satisfying maybe more of a mainstream audience, the wrestling audience? Adam, are you, do you have wrestling? backgrounds what how do you approach film like this? I, I enjoyed wrestling when i was growing up mm-hmm. which is not to say it's something which, which you know purely younger viewers can get something out of but it's just one of those things that i i stopped really following closely mm-hmm. but you know the rock was like a huge star when i when i was sort of coming up and it's fascinating to see him working still within the wwe to some extent mm. and to nurture a project like this. I wonder who got Stephen Merchant involved as a director. It sounds because, like The Rock got him involved. Yeah, because um, they'd worked together on that film, The Tooth Fairy. Yeah, um, and I've, I've watched a few interviews with Stephen Merchant, and they said that they met on that film, and I think he made a joke, he's, like, he's the only British person that The Rock knows, <laughs> so he got him involved with uh, 
with this movie to mm. try and produce it. But like, obviously, Stephen Merchant's quite honest in saying I, I knew nothing about wrestling mm-hmm. pr- prior to this. I, I think the interesting thing about this film is that you've got on one level the family, this this mm. you know family based in, in Norwich and who I think actually all of them is really well cast. I haven't seen the documentary, but you, you get a sense of like these real people and especially Nick Frost and Lena Headey as the parents, mm. I think, work wonderfully together as the kind of, uh, I guess, they're like semi-professional wrestling outfit. Yeah, they still run a promotion. Okay. The, the, their promotion that's featured in the film, um, WAW, I think that's what um, the name of it. It's, it's still running. They're actually running the show at Carra Road, the Norwich okay. City Football okay. Stadium, uh, later this year. So obviously they've got a lot more attention thanks to this movie and thanks to their daughter, basically. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're very convincing yeah. as that couple and you know this promotions outfit that they run. But I think the family aspect of it, beyond that, looking at the WWE, it doesn't feel, I think the best thing you can say about this film is it doesn't feel like a marketing exercise for mm-hmm. Vince McMahon's empire. No. But obviously The Rock still sees wrestling as this big family, this mm. this kind of community thing. Well, he's, he's from a wrestling family as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it does work on a few levels, I think. And uh, yeah, it's just great that he's he's this, you know, massive movie star now, but he's still wanting to yeah. nurture a project I think like going this. into this film, I was a bit concerned about how much The Rock would be involved because I don't think he had much to do with actually Page's progression in WWE. I mean, The Rock stopped wrestling really about 2003 something like that he's mm-hmm. had a few comebacks since then but he's not been predominantly involved so for him to come back to wrestling like this is quite interesting for it to be um a WWE production as well so this is in the WWE studios which is like their movies which they started quite a long time ago now mm-hmm. i mean scorpion king way back in or 2002 with <laughs> which was the rock front and center that was their first big movie and since then they've kind of been consistently producing them since then but they've been straight to video sort of action movies mostly star always starring at least one wrestler from their roster so for the rock to be back involved with them on this level on the movie level was quite interesting so it's, it's a merging of of both worlds for him and it's also one of the seven movies he's producing at the same time course, whilst yeah. shooting and promoting and going to the chinese premieres as, mm. as we know from his instagram we focus a lot on the wrestling context here but maybe the fact that Stephen merchant has written and directed this is more of a key to what the tone of the film is like yeah. it's more of a british comedy wouldn't you say i mean i think he's really the vital component in mm-hmm. all this because it has a sort of lightness about it and it has a eccentricity about it a certain Britishness about it which I don't think they overplay too much like there's there's a little bit about the fact that Nick Frost and Lena Headey that the Knights are a little bit of a rough and ready family and he's he's a Norwich City fan and there's, a, mm. there's a, a, a very funny scene involving him dressing up by putting on a Norwich City um, shirt <laughs> yeah it feels very sort of authentic and but it's not overplaying that for, for laughs yeah. um, mm. it's just very well observed I think and I think Merchant's that's, always had yeah, that you know, I think that's a genuine strength for this film is, is that family interaction Jack Loden who plays her brother Zach is, he gives a really good performance in this film I thought I think he really brings like sort of almost like a working class grit to it he feels very hard done by because as, as the film progresses he realises Paige's a bigger star than he'll ever be so he has to come to terms with that and he gives a good performance and I mean he's not been in many films he was in Dunkirk, he was in Dunkirk. One, of the, one of the pilots yeah. and then he was th- he was Morrissey in that Morrissey movie oh, that yes, came out yeah. last year he's not been in many films yeah. that, that Morrissey movie yeah. England <laughs> is Mine I think it was called yeah that's the, the one Yeah. yeah. so uh, I'll be interested in what he does next I thought at times he was a genuine star with this film the big star is Florence Pugh right mm. she was in Lady Macbeth last year that's her small and independent feature but then in um 
Little Drummer Girl, uh, the yes. TV series that really seemed to break her out to a new level of fame. What's she like here on screen with The Rock, who's twice her size? Is she holding yeah, her Yeah, I mean, she's terrific in, in The Little Drummer Girl, and I think this is a very different kind of performance. But again, she brings... She's just got such a, a genuine personality. And whatever sort of thing you're watching her in, I think Little Drummer Girl is obviously a bit more kind of stagey and it's this more period drama... Lady Macbeth is that, but it feels more contemporary, and she's mm-hmm. she's she's adopting an accent, and again here she's adopting this accent, which I think she pulls off fairly well. Yeah, yeah. I think she's just someone who, at this point, you know, you wouldn't count her off doing anything. Like if she mm-hmm. went followed like Brie Larson's footsteps and went and made a big Marvel movie, I would totally buy that. If she wanted to continue making more kind of independent period dramas, I think she could do that as well. She seems like someone who's got a lot of strings to her bow, so. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, fair play to her as well, because she actually did do a little bit of wrestling training and the big climactic scene at the end where she's on Raw and, and, you know, gets the victory. Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, They actually did that in front of a live audience. So The Rock Mm -hmm. actually went out there and and got the crowd all buzzed. So fair play to her doing that, because that must have been pretty Mm nerve-wracking for somebody who's never done wrestling and performing thousands of people. Yeah. I think she's got an incredible physicality to her. She's very mm. kind of bulky in this. That's no, she, I, such I, a short I think she put, she's put in the hard work on mm. this. I, know, I think she got Paige down. She put her own personality to Paige, whilst also being a very good impersonation of her to an extent. I imagine they must have conversed at some point about mm-hmm. their histories. Let's put mm. some scores on this. Okay. Greg, I'm going to come to you first. So, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. Cool. So... In anticipation, I was very trepidatious about this. I was like, The Rock had nothing to do with Paige's history. Why is he in this movie? Wrestling movies in general have been pretty shocking. I won't go into those, but if you look at wrestling movies on Google, they are a sorry bunch. So I was like, oh, this isn't going to be great. So I go for two anticipation. Enjoyment, I'd go with a three. I think the film really gets the family aspect of the... Um, story right and it feels very genuine and heartfelt but I, f- I think the actual wrestling no criticism of the actual the actors in it I just don't think the film actually managed to capture what is so impressive about wrestling mm-hmm. on a production scale anyway so that's just a minor criticism but I, I think it knocked down perhaps the enjoyment of those actual scenes because mm-hmm. it just didn't feel very authentic to me okay. and so I'll give it a go free on that and then on retrospect I, I'd say free again I, I think it's a really good crowd pleaser. I'd be interested how it actually performs at the box office, but I'd be interested who it is actually appealing to, whether mm-hmm. it's appealing to movie fans or wrestling fans. I think you go in with this, being a wrestling fan, you might come out a little bit disappointed, but I think if you have an open mind, you will find a lot to enjoy within this movie. But it's not going to set the world alight, I don't think. But, mm. um, yeah, so a free on that. Okay. Adam? I think I'd go three, three, three. Um, okay. I don't think it necessarily exceeded my expectations for it I didn't go in necessarily wanting to see a lot of wrestling as well I must say and, and Stephen Merchant you can you can tell he's more in his comfort zone mm-hmm. with the comedy situational drama stuff as well I think the wrestling does feel like a bit of an afterthought yeah but at the same time it's it's a sort of crowd pleaser mm-hmm. it's very entertaining some of the more kind of metaphorical stuff and some of the themes it wears fairly lightly mm-hmm. on its sleeve as well it's not really you know pushing you in any direction there so yeah, I think I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. So plenty of room for the big 
wrestling biopic to come. Maybe this Hulk Hogan one with Chris Hemsworth could be yeah, the one. Yeah, this sounds like an interesting... It's a Netflix one as well, mm. so um, oh, everybody will be able to see this film. I think it's 2020 or something this, uh-huh. this film's going to come out. And it's quite weird because, um, I mean, you can look at Hulk Hogan and his sort of various recent history and it's pretty controversial to say the least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's actually producing this film, so uh-huh. I think it might be a bit disingenuous and it might overlook a few of these controversies surrounding him and apparently there's a Vincent Mann one in the works as well I don't know much about that one so I don't know Fighting with Family could kickstart a wrestling uh, movie craze like Marvel surely it's only a matter of time until we get an Andre the Giant movie well there was a documentary Mm -hmm. out last year which was also covered with controversy because of one Mr Hulk Hogan Uh but by all means I think that one was was quite well received Mm -hmm. Um, but I think wrestling historians were turning their noses up a little bit those wrestling historians oh yeah Dave Meltzer (laughs) would be uh, he was writing all sorts about that (laughs) hard to please but there is a wonderful graphic novel about Andre the Giant that's a great book yeah yeah that is really good I'd recommend that <laughs> but that was fighting with my family up next fighting with your family again it's <laughs> the hole in the ground Sarah, a young mum, moves to a rural Irish town with her son Chris, hoping for a fresh start. But one night, Chris goes missing in the forest behind their house, and when he returns unscathed, Sarah starts to worry that the kid is not her son after all. Do you remember those beautiful flowers you picked for me in the garden? Yes. Have you been going anywhere else? No. Like the forest, maybe? No, Mummy. So how's Chuck doing? Haven't seen you play with him lately. He's still your favourite, right? Are you sure you haven't been going into the forest on your own? No, Mummy. Then how did he get out there? No more lies, Christopher. I'm not. Tell me the truth. I am. Tell me the truth. I am. Tell me the truth. I am. Stop lying to me. I'm not lying. I'm sorry, Mummy. We should say, for context's sake, that Chuck mentioned in that clip is an action man-like toy. It's not Chris's best mate or something (laughs) that's been uh, lost in the forest. Adam, this is a low-budget Irish horror, premiered at Sundance. A24 have picked it up, so they're going to do their magic Mm. with it, I'm sure. Did it work for you? Did it creep you out? Yeah, it did, actually. I think Irish horror has a a pretty strong tradition. There's a lot of old folklore legends and stories of, you know, fairies and nasty things in the woods. And this is obviously continuing in that vein, but I think it brings something of its own and it, it obviously knows it's it's horror it's horror cinema as well I mean the opening shot straight away reminded me of like The Shining or mm. Evil Dead or something and I guess it ends up going down a slightly different path than, than you maybe expect from that there's a supernatural element to it dare I say there's even a touch of under the skin about it as mm. well but at the centre of it you've got this amazing child performance um, from James Quinn Markey he's really I think the thing that, that holds this film together and not to take anything away from, you know, the director or Shana Kerslake playing his mother, but I think he really is the the standout performer here um, mm-hmm. in the kind of creepy kid canon. Um, mm. is, as a recent entry, this is like right up there, I think. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of The Babadook as well. Mm. Absolutely. Talking about creepy kids and single parent families with 
the parent going a bit crazy or paranoid. Greg, was this suitably different from these films we've seen before, like The Shining, etc.? I wouldn't go that far. Mm-hmm. I think this film has a lot of fun with its idea and its premise. It lays its references on pretty thick. It's got so many nods to so many horror films throughout this film. As I said The Babadook, The Descent at one point. There's even a, a scene which is basically a direct take of a scene from Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh. There's an arm wrestling scene in this film, oh, which is it's yeah. basically the same um, scene. But as I said, it, it has a lot of fun with it. It never feels like it's pandering to its audience in a way. Mm-hmm. It never feels like it's like... It never tries to explain itself too much, and it does get bogged down in sort of the premise of the film or trying to explain, like, the folklore. It's just like, this is the story. It's going to scare you every now and again, but um, it's a zippy, fun film. And, you know, you, it, it does have jump scares, but mm-hmm. it, it's not got the same... It's not like it's dread throughout the film. You could probably watch this with, you know, your girlfriend, your girlfriend and boyfriend, and they'll be fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> a good date movie. Adam, what do you say? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch this in, in a cinema. I watched it mm-hmm. in the comfort of my home on a little projector. And I watched it on my own, actually back-to-back with the film we're going to be talking about next, which was an interesting comparison. They're obviously completely different films, but just in terms of building up an atmosphere of suspense and dread, I think this actually does what it does very well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a real economy to the storytelling, as you touched upon. It certainly doesn't feel derivative of any of these these films. I mean, even if you're someone who has a more limited knowledge of horror cinema, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coming to this, you you would get quite a lot out of it. There's not really much pre-existing knowledge that I think the, the film leans on too mm-hmm. much. Yeah. I think it's got the potential to be like kind of a, this breakout sort of Babadook, hereditary sort mm-hmm. of hit for 2019. I think one thing to maybe flag, though, is that it maybe does not have the, I wouldn't say depth, but the aspirations that some of those films yes. do to be, uh, quote-unquote, more than a horror film. Mm. This is Lee Cronin is such a confident director here with some of these sequences, uh, these the use of dissonant strings, foreboding landscapes. There's a sequence which is completely set in a, in a cellar with a flickering strobe light, which mm-hmm. is just so well done. Mm. It, but it's quite happy to just be that, would you say, Adam, or would yeah. you disagree? I don't know how much it's, it's sort of intentionally doing that or not. I mean, I mean, this is a sort of bugbear of mine within film criticism more, but people talking about horror films as being, or aspiring to be like more than a horror film, mm-hmm. and you mentioned something mm-hmm. like The Babadook or Hereditary, yeah. okay, that might be one reading and that might be, might be mm-hmm. sort of there, but there's a tendency to sort of understate or undermine the intentions of horror film directors as part, you know, an art form, an artistic work, and you think it maybe is just about the, the kind of scares and... And actually, there is, you know, often, and in this case, there is something more going on beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is fundamentally a story about a mother and son and single parenthood and all the fears and tensions that, that come along with that. So, yeah, I, I was quietly impressed with this. There's also always nice to see James Cosmo in cameo here and uh, Katie Utenen, who's a regular of Aki Karazmaki's films. Mm-hmm. She right. appears very briefly as a sort of creepy old lady and you're thinking, oh, she's obviously perfectly cast as that, like... I mean, whether this guy's a Charismaki fan, Lee Cronin, or whether he just... Uh, how she got cast, I'd love to know. But. Because yeah, I think strange, it has... Yeah. In the opening crawl, when you have your 20 different funding bodies, the Finnish Film Institute yeah. did come up. Right, well spotted, yeah. I wonder if that's yeah. a little thing there. Well, that's one thing I noticed during the film. So, um, my girlfriend's Irish, so I watched this film with her, and throughout the film, she was like, this film's not made in Ireland. 
Interesting. So she was. So that was one bugbear that I was watching throughout the film. I was like, oh, you've got all these Irish actors, and nearly everybody in this film's got an Irish accent. Mm-hmm. So it makes you think this film's definitely set somewhere within Ireland. But um, she said the scenery just wasn't like anywhere else that she could pinpoint on. And there's not like huge dense forests like there are within this movie. So that kind of, if you have, you know, some familiarity with Ireland, that might take you out of it a little bit. But I don't. It's not. It's not going to ruin the film for you. Or it might add to it. This might add to it. The exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Depends if you, you're being the wrestling historian or inside <laughs> you. Adam, should we put some scores on this so we can get through to, to film clip? Yeah, uh, I'd say a three in anticipation for this. Lee Cronin, sort of new director on the scene. But I think it had some fairly good buzz from, was it Sundance? Where it mm-hmm, premiered? Yeah. And uh, I'd, I'd say probably a four in enjoyment and a three in retrospect. I'd definitely watch his next film. Mm-hmm. Mm. I must admit, I didn't know anything about this film. But I sort of avoided the Sundance buzz this year. So I'd go for two anticipations. I really didn't know what to expect. Enjoyment, I'd say like a three, a like high three. It was just a lot of fun. It did have scary moments in it, but I would just I thought as a sort of a a nice sort of Friday night horror movie for 90 minutes. It was great time. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was just fun noticing all the references and so on. And retrospect, I'd say... F- Three again, because I, I don't think this one's going to, as you say, live to have the sort of the, the longevity of, of, of a Babadook or something like that. But um, it's good, I, and um, I'm really keen to see what Lee Cronin does next. So he's very, seems a very confident director, and I think this is maybe just only second feature film, okay. something like that. If this film gets the buzz, and I'd be really interested to see what he could do next. Cause I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of potential here. Wow, a director to watch then. Mm-hmm. That's the hole in the ground. Up next, we have film clip Hideo Nakata's Ring. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay. 
so it has been 20 years since Sadako, the long-haired Japanese ghost girl from Ring, first climbed out of the TV screen and scared horror fans to death. Since then, Ring has inspired sequels, prequels, remakes and even a whole cobbled-together genre. Whether you call it J-horror or Asia Extreme, this is where it all started and it's both back in cinemas and getting a restored Blu-ray release in March. But is it still scary? Greg, do we have any listener comments? Oh, yes, it comes from Stuart Field, and he says, After watching it, I didn't turn on a TV set for a week, which is a pretty ringing endorsement for how scary this film is. But, Stuart, she'll turn the TV on for you. Oh, I won't yeah, save yeah, you, yeah. I won't plug it, and it'll still turn on. <laughs> so, watching this again 20 years later, was this a film we saw at the time, or when it finally came out a couple of years later in the UK? Yeah, I actually remember renting this from my local video shop. I think it was my first introduction to possibly even Japanese cinema, let alone Japanese horror. I think maybe I'd seen a Studio Ghibli film at that point, but that, mm-hmm. that would have been about it. So I remember renting it and, and again, being exposed to the Tartan Asia Extreme mm-hmm. uh, imprint. Basically went back and would just rent everything that they mm-hmm. put out from there. I think Dark Water yeah. was another popular one, an audition. But this is, as, as you say, where it all started. And I do remember that experience of watching it on an old, on a VHS, on an old cathode tv mm. there's no experience quite like that i mean this mm-hmm. is almost a film which and i would definitely recommend people going to see it in the cinema when it's re-released this month but it's almost a film that is absolutely made for just watching on your own at home mm-hmm. um, yeah. it really does make it much scarier and as i say i watched it on a projector this time around a little home projector <laughs> but definitely hasn't lost any of its chillingness and suspense and i just love the way that nakata uses sound design especially mm-hmm. in this like mm. all the very subtle uh, white noise and the things that he layers in the sound design of this film. I mean, without even realising it, you're suddenly kind of on edge and mm. gripping the arm armrests. And uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. Yeah, something I hadn't really clicked with at the time is the soundtrack is used quite sparingly here and it's quite weirdly synth-based and quite funky at times as well. Mm, yeah. It's very dissonant and scary. Very similar to the Japanese horror video games at the time, Resident Evil and Silent Hill, I think. Greg, were you a fan at the time? Was this a, a landmark scare yes. for you as a horror fan? This was basically me at high school. So me and a friend okay. were really into like Japanese culture and video games and anime. And then we started to, once we got a little bit older, we started to sort of venture into his horror, sort of the Yakuza movies that were coming out around this period. So... Stuff like Ichi the Killer and Battle Royale. Battle Royale was a, a big movie for around, around uh, my school. And then sort of stuff like Ringu and um, Dark Water, The Grudge, mm-hmm. Audition, Pulse, which is just a phenomenally scary film, Pulse. But yeah, this film kind of kick-started everything for that kind of Japanese genre in the late 90s, early 2000s. And yeah, this film hasn't lost any of its sort of... The presence of it. And it, it's, it is a phenomenally scary movie, but not in the way that I think a lot of modern horror films are now, where it's like these jump scares, all this tension, and this whole film is tension. Mm-hmm, this whole, mm-hmm. It's just this overwhelming sense of dread. And you're like, what on earth is going to happen to these people because they've watched this tape? In that way, it's kind of a mystery film because they are constantly trying to find out why this tape exists and, and why people are dying in very strange circumstances. And people literally get scared to death in this film, which I love. <laughs> like, it's such a basic idea for a film, and it's done so well for a, this whole thing. And I think it's a real strength of this. And when you watch it back now, I think being a more sort of cultured film fan now, and with slightly more knowledge of, of sort of foreign cinema, this really plays like an art house movie. Mm-hmm. There are scenes throughout this this movie where it's just people sitting in a, a dark room, saying nothing, and it's just like. <laughs> 
this is horrible. Uh-huh. Like this is there's something really sad and tragic has happened here, and it's just mesmerising. The whole film is just like. Incredible. It's almost a good yeah. film's have as film club running on from last week with Deep Impact, a mm-hmm. film that you have this sword Damocles hanging over the characters yeah. for the entirety of the movie, and you have to wrestle with the melancholy of that. Mm. I love that, that it's, it's quite funny almost in retrospect, the main character's first impulse is, I've watched a video that might make me die in the next seven days, I'll get my ex-husband to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but then it is a procedural for the rest of the film. Yeah. She's a TV journalist, he's an academic, and they're going through... It must have been quite high-tech at the time. Of course, you have these this post-Japanese technological boom themes mm. of it's a video, VHS, TVs in the home. You have these pieces of technology that allow you to scrub frame by frame through mm. VHS, listen in on the soundtrack, etc. You have mobile phones. There's a, a lot of paranoia there about this rapidly evolving technology. Yeah. It's quite fascinating. There's a bit of Y2K-ness about it, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, specifically the idea of having TV in the home, VHS, videos, because at least the initial deaths are kids Mm -hmm. and it's what kids are doing unsupervised from parents in fact there's a key scene where her son watches the video while she's asleep Mm. TVs and videos and this content is in the home oh yeah it works as like a a premonition for how we consume media now Mm -hmm. and like basically everybody has access to Twitter Facebook whatever YouTube where you can basically see anything you want if you're looking hard enough for Mm -hmm. it and how we share those things so the idea of this film is that you have to share the, the tape in order to avoid dying basically mm. and it works as how like we share things out you retweet things you want somebody else to see this mm-hmm. it's kind of bizarre how well this movie predicted the you know the next 20 years mm-hmm. yeah but it's not got this conservative or traditionalist streak no. of oh what somebody think of the children and, mm. and advocating censorship or anything like that it's more about i guess a the pervasiveness of this technology and the lack of control certainly that a parent might have over mm. Uh, what their child watches but yeah I think what you're talking about in, in terms of the scare factor of the film mm. I, I just love how again economical it is with that and I mean there's really only a couple of instances two or three maybe single images in the film mm. that really mm-hmm. get sort of singed into your into your psyche and that's all it needs you know it's not jump scare every two minutes and kind of ratcheting up tension in that very contrived very forced way um, it allows scenes to really play out obviously that as you say, Greg leaves you just feeling like a, a bag of nerves the whole time because you just do not know what is laying around the corner. Yeah, I, I went read, went back and read some of the reviews at the time, and there was some. It mostly got very positive reviews, but there was some naysayers thinking, "Oh, it's it's quite boring. You know, there's not very scary. It's just kind of this procedural, as you say." But it, in a way, that kind of that is its strength. It, it's the way this story is told rather than the actual story, mm-hmm. which is so interesting and so gets really under your skin and, and really stays with you, which is not what the uh, American remake managed to do, I'd have, for me personally. Not a fan of the Gore Verbinski it's, it's remake. Not, it's not a terrible film. It's, it's a very watchable and enjoyable film to an extent, but it doesn't have that sense of, of doom, of like something awful is going to happen to somebody or something awful has happened to somebody. It just feel like Naomi Watts is watched this videotape and she's got to find out what's happened. And it does do more interesting things with the tape, I think, in that mm-hmm. film and explores kind of the history of it and how that was made and how um, how that plays into reality. But it, it just doesn't have that same the same aura of this film. There's a lot more CGI and yes. digital colouring effects yeah, and yeah. so on. It's a very blue film. But it, it, ironically, that film actually made more money in Japan than the original film. Interesting. So yeah, it's And goes, then they got Hideo Nakata to direct the sequel to the remake. Yes, yeah, and yeah, the, the, and the whole series franchise is, is mind-boggling. There are two timelines. Mm. There are sequels and prequels. Hidden Carter does some and not others, and then now there's crossovers with 
Sadako the, yeah, and the Grudge. The girl yeah. from the Grudge. Yeah. Right, gosh. Apparently they're not as very good. They're so, they're so like great on premise, like a Freddy vs. Jason film was, and we all saw how bad that was. I think so, they're more thrill rides now rather yeah, than, exactly. than this. Yeah. I know what you mean about how it's very restrained, and there really are only two or three scenes, real scares, even some of them are just a, you know, a, a, a little apparition in the back of a shot or in mm. a reflection. And that's when, when I watched this at the time, maybe I came to it a little late, all these films, particularly Takeshi Miike's films, were so much more extreme than this. Oh, gosh. Gore and scares and shock yeah. that this almost didn't f- fit in with those. No, it didn't really. I think we, me and my friend who mentioned earlier, we were watching like Battle Royale and Each of the Killer, which are just unbelievably violent mm-hmm. and gory and just like, I can't not believe somebody's actually been allowed to make this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you watch this film, as I said, it, it does feel like it's very kind of sedate, almost mm-hmm. contemplative film about death and yeah, yeah. and what's happening to society. Um, and quaint, but also creepily so. Yes. As you say, yeah. people are scared to death in this. They don't have someone chop their feet off with you know cheese wire or anything yeah. like that. They don't have their cheeks cut open or any other things that happen in these other films. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Although it's still quite horrific, the way people die. And I think the, oh, terrifying. the, the, yeah. the image of, of the corpses that you see with these horribly almost distorted faces plants that seed in your own mind of how horrific it must have been Mm -hmm. the actual death scene which you never see and again that's one of the real strengths of this film I think it leaves so much up to the viewer's imagination Mm. what I remember of the of the Naomi Watts uh, Hollywood remake they plucked a lot of the iconography from this film like the mirrors and the photographs with the blurred faces and and the the well and the ring and, and the videotape and just sort of exploded that in yeah really sort of Took away some of the nuance, I guess, of the original by by just sort of focusing on that a little bit more, mm. um, which is you know obviously very typical of Hollywood, but doesn't take anything away from this though. Not at no. all. Um, but, shout out to Tartan as well for releasing all these films back in the day. Yeah, and you can still you can still find and those DVDs knocking around in, in certain shops. Well, I think many yeah. of them are now being re-released, mm. and it took a long time because they went out of business, and you know, they'll turn up in the FOPS and HMVs of the world. Sure. But uh, I think now they're finally getting re-released, and it's so great that this is getting a yeah, full-scale yeah. cinema there's, release. There's definitely a lot of nostalgia for that, if that we could, particularly brand anyway. Yeah. If we could recommend one more of these Asian extreme films, what would it be, Adam? I think Takashi Miike's Audition mm-hmm. for me, which plays on different themes but in a in a similar kind of way just in terms of the mood and atmosphere of it i think the endings carries a bigger punch it's mm. a lot more violent and impactful but definitely uh, that's yeah i'd say that's one that had the biggest impact on I me i think audition is probably one of the single biggest jump scares in cinema history in that film i'd say a film where i mentioned pulse yeah. uh, by kiyoshi kurosawa which is a very similar film about how we consume technology and media and, and what it's doing to society and I'd say it's even creepier than uh, The Ring to an extent because there's, there's a scene in that film which just still gives me nightmares. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. But um, yeah, I'd yeah, seek out that one. Mine would be Dark Water, mm-hmm. also hitting a Carter, only because it shares similar DNA with this film in the sense that it takes everyday devices or everyday presences in our home. In Ring's case, it's a TV screen. A TV turned off can be terrifying now, thanks to Ring. Mm. For Dark Water, it's the patch of damp from a, from a <laughs> flat above. What could that possibly mean? But also another film that plays on the modern urban life, contemporary Japan, etc., living in up on top of each other mm. and modern-day urban legends. Yeah. It's fantastic. I recommend it. Not the American remake. Those three mentioned, only Audition didn't get remade. Why not? Yeah, it seems strange, yeah. Yeah. Give it time. Give, Give it time. time. <laughs> well, that was ring a ringing endorsement from everyone around the table. Next week, 
Oh, this is a brilliant uh, illustration of how far away from the Oscar window we are now. <laughs> Next week, the lead film is Captain Marvel, Brie Larson entering the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're also reviewing Ray and Liz, the British drama. And then for the Film Club, we have 1984's Supergirl. Wow. Adam, did you pick this one? Or yeah, was it I did. Else? It's the first film that was made, first Hollywood film with a lead female superhero. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Obviously, we had Wonder Woman TV series and other kind of stuff before that. Yeah, it feels kind of significant. I think this is the first, I'm right in saying that Captain Marvel is the first solo lead female superhero movie for Marvel. For Marvel, Marvel, Marvel yeah. yeah. In the cinematic universe. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just thought it would be an interesting point of comparison. Sorry, Faye Dunaway. Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Peter O'Toole. Yeah, it's yeah. got a bizarre cast. It has indeed. Um, I don't think it was particularly big hit when it got released on A4 so I'm not sure I don't think it's particularly well remembered but let's see if you do remember it well or otherwise let us know at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email or at the comments section at lwis.com slash podcast Greg, Adam thank you so much for joining me today I am Michael Leader and as always this has been a 7 Digital production Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.